0: Thank you so much. Uh, Carol's going to come during the time and just share uh, some things with us also. We want to thank you so much uh, for your prayers uh, that uh, you've given to us and your financial giving. Um, Many of you know that uh, we were fighting uh, in San Francisco just recently with the high cost of things going on, the market explosion, the tech revolution that's going on. And our neighborhood, in the midst of massive gentrification, our building was just about uh, taken away from us. We've been renting a facility in downtown San Francisco for 20 years, and um, we had a developer come in and try to snatch it away from us. And uh, he offered to our landlord a cash settlement of $3.75 million. And we had the first right to purchase on the property written in our lease. And my landlord called me up and he said, Tim, I'm selling the property. In fact, it's already sold. I sold it to the other uh, guy. But you have the first rights. But you have to match the offer. And I know you don't have any money, so. (laughs) Ha, (laughs) ha, ha. Anyway, I have to offer it to you just uh, to be formal and legal about it. And I said, well, Pete, I said, "Uh, let me pray about that. Because we've been praying for 20 years that we would get that building. And we came back in a couple of days, and we said, we're going to match it. And he said, but you don't, have the, you don't have the money. And I said, I don't have the money, but we know someone that might have it, meaning our Father in Heaven. And uh, we began to pray. And that was May 16th. And uh, we were put underneath a very strict legal procedure uh, because we had to match the offer. The, the developer wanted to take us to court. Uh, the other third party wanted to take us to court and break our first rights, and so he made the landlord sign a contract along with us that by such and such a date, we had to prove that we had the entire amount. And um, we were able to raise, in a, in about 60 days' time, over $800,000, and by the time that we went into the settlement, uh, we were able to raise $1.4 million, and the most Carol and I have ever raised is enough to buy a second-hand car, so... Uh, we're not good fundraisers, uh, but the Lord poured out, poured out His grace. We had somebody step in with a bridge loan for the the amount that we needed. and uh, we were able to purchase the building on september twenty third. And uh, it was just a miracle story of of incredible things that took place. We obviously had to take a loan. Uh, so the miracle's still going on. And when you, you know when you take a, a loan for two point eight million dollars, that's a heavy mortgage which we're now standing every month and watching that miracle take place. But we just had answers to prayer from all over. Um, We had money being sent in from uh, Chile, uh, from uh, Australia. We had from Russia. Uh, We had all the way from Sarawak, Malaysia by PayPal. Someone sent us a gift of 86 cents. And when it hit our account, it was 59 cents. And um, I was so touched. Uh, We had a homeless man walk into our building, and he said, Word is on the street that YWAM is losing their building, and we don't want you guys to leave. We want you here. And he emptied out all of his pockets, and he gave us $6. And so we had just story after story after story after story of how God uh, provided through large and small amounts from all over the world, and uh, we want to thank you guys so much for being with us in that endeavor, praying for us. And we're still in that endeavor right now uh, as we're in the downtown section of San Francisco trying to maintain our presence in that place. So we want to thank you very much. This morning I want to speak to you. Uh, on a, uh, The title I'm going to use this morning is, What's Your Piece of the Pie? What's Your Piece of the Pie? As we talk about spreading the conversation What's your piece of the pie in spreading that conversation? Because the conversation of the gospel doesn't just get spread by the pastor. It gets spread by us as the church. As God has spread us, whether it's in neighborhoods or whether it's in our jobs or whether it's through our skills and our talents or our professions, he's put us into places to be missionaries. Our founder and our director, Lauren Cunningham, he says, You're either a missionary or you're a mission field. Which one are you? <laughs> and so that's what we have to understand. We're either a missionary or we're a mission field. And I want to talk to you this morning about what is your piece of the pie. And I'm lo- looking at Acts chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, you can open it up to Acts chapter 19. And it's an interesting passage that we begin to find the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 19, verses 8 through 10. Now, Paul is on his way from, he was leaving in Acts chapter 19, verse 1, from Corinth, and he moved down to Ephesus. And Ephesus was no small Roman Empire city. It was one of the larger of the Roman Empire cities, maybe 200, 300, maybe 400,000 people, we don't know, but somewhere in that range, it was a fairly large city, and the Apostle Paul primarily, if not exclusively, spent his time preaching in the cities. Now, Ephesus was a pluralistic city. It had people from all different walks of life and different religions. Jews and Greeks and people from all different types of ethnicities. In this passage, we see in verse 8, as we look at it, it says, Paul entered the synagogue. And what did he do in the synagogue? He spoke boldly for three months. And how did he speak boldly? He argued persuasively about the kingdom of God. Now let's just stop there for just a second, and let's just say that's the end of the sermon this morning. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to take you on a bus, and we're going to go downtown Chicago. And I don't know where where can I where can I take you? I don't know Chicago that well, even though I was I was raised in Cicero, <laughs> but I haven't been here for years. But let's say I took you down maybe to the. Um, LGBTQ community, the gay community. And I said, let's now practice what Paul says here. I want you to go out and speak boldly, and I want you to argue persuasively. Do you think it would work? If I said to you this morning, I want you to get into an argument. (laughs) That's your assignment. Go, because that's what the Apostle Paul did, isn't it? And if the Apostle Paul did it, then who are we to say that it shouldn't work? I, I hope you realize I'm setting you up for something here. <laughs> you know, I, I, we live in San Francisco, and, and we have a community in San Francisco called the Castro community, which is the predominantly gay community of the neighborhood. And we have many outsiders that come into the gay community, and they do exactly this. They speak boldly, and they argue persuasively And they get kicked out. (laughs) So you look at this and you go, what's going on here with the Apostle Paul? It says he entered the synagogue. And what did he do? He spoke boldly. He argued persuasively. Now, verse 9, some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. Now, before we say that it didn't work, the Apostle Paul was there for three months. And, and one of the longest times that he's spending inside of a synagogue. All right. So we find here in verse 9 it says, So Paul left them. Now watch what happens. He took the disciples with him and had what? Discussions. Daily. Where? In the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Now, it wasn't that he was discussing with his disciples only. Because we find in verse 10, this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now what's going on here? In verse 8, he's arguing, but when we come down to verse 9, he's discussing. What happens, or what what happened between verses 8 and 9? Did Paul change his style because he recognized that verse 8 was not effective? Or is something else taking place here? Well, Look at it closely. Paul entered what? The synagogue. Who's in the synagogues? Jews. How do Jews like to talk? They like good arguments. <laughs> they like good arguments. They're debaters. You go down to verse 9. He took the disciples with them, and he had discussions daily where? The lecture hall of Tyrannus. What's this place? Well, Tyrannus was probably a philosopher, and in that lecture hall, they discussed philosophy. Who discussed the philosophy? Greeks. And how do Greeks discuss philosophy? Q and A. (laughs) Question, answer. Question, answer. How do Jews do it? Debate and argument. What's Paul doing here? The Apostle Paul is changing his styles because of the context that he's preaching in. I live in the city of San Francisco. Carol and I are in the city of San Francisco. Seven miles by seven miles, 800,000 people. Japantown, Chinatown, Latino town, the Tenderloin, the Castro. Every neighborhood is different from one another. Every 20 blocks the culture changes. How do you preach the gospel in a city where the culture keeps on changing? Paul studied his context. Paul studied his context and what we learn from this is what Dr. Ray Bakke who lived here in Chicago for 38 years, he taught the 3 m's of paul's ministry paul studied his context and he adjusted his message now watch this he adjusted his message his methods and his meeting places according to the audiences that he was speaking in first corinthians chapter 9 verse 20 paul says to the jews i became like a jew to win the jews To those under the law, I became like one under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. (laughs) What's happening here with the Apostle Paul? He's changing his message. Now, the gospel message is always the same, but how you present it keeps on changing. Is that making sense? (laughs) In my neighborhood, the Tenderloin in San Francisco, or in some other neighborhoods, because of the type of people I'm working with, the gospel may be very straight and confrontational. But when I go to another neighborhood like the Castro, where I'm dealing more with the, maybe the, the uh, gay progressive community, The gospel may focus more on the love of God and the kindness of God, which leads men to repentance. The message is the same. How we preach it keeps on changing. Paul adjusted his message. He adjusted his methods. There's not one style of preaching the gospel. The styles have to be adjusted according to the audiences that we're speaking. And the style is adjusted according to the person who's presenting. Some people, have a, some people might have a very conversational style. Some people may have a very invitational style. Some people may have a very prayer-oriented style. Some people have an apologetic style. Some like Dwight Moody from Chicago decades ago had a confrontational style. <laughs> One day he was out walking in Chicago, and a man was leaning up against a light post smoking a cigarette. And Dwight Moody walked up to him and put his hand on him and he said, Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? And the man looked at him and said, Mind your own business. And Moody looked at him and said, Excuse me, this is my business. <laughs> What's your style? God God uses all kinds of styles because there are all kinds of people. And what's important for us is that we begin to understand that Paul studied his context. What's your context? Where's God placed you? Whether it's in your neighborhood or it's in your job or the people around you. What's your context? And how do you adjust your message and your methods in order to see the gospel preached? Carol and I in San Francisco, it's a very diverse, not just San Francisco, but the San Francisco Bay Area. And as we live in the San Francisco Bay Area, we're spread across, not just in one location, but we're now in about... Uh, Eight different locations across the Bay Area. And our mission is very simple, engaging the Bay Area with a loving God. But how we begin to engage the Bay Area in these eight different locations, right now we're in eight, we're multiplying to 16. When we get to 16, we're going to 32. When we hit 32, we're going to 64. But in each location is a different way of presenting the gospel. Over there in Fremont, way on the other side of the bay, we have a small ministry that's going on in the Afghan community, amongst the Muslim community. How we preach the gospel amongst the Muslims is not the same way we preach the gospel amongst the homeless in downtown San Francisco. It's a different style. It's a different method. It's a different meeting place, even inviting the Muslims inside of a church is not the wisest thing to do. Because when we do, we separate them from the rest of their people. Rather, we bring the church inside the home and we share the gospel over a meal, sitting together, breaking bread with one another in a natural format. We have to adjust the message. We have to adjust the methods, and we have to adjust the meeting places wherever we go. We have another one you can see way on the tip of San Francisco called North Beach. It's in a very upscale neighborhood. Homes in North Beach start about $2 million and go up to about $10 million. <laughs> it's the Italian section of the city. Pizza, pasta, and coffee. Coffee. It's a beautiful neighborhood. Some of the richest people of San Francisco live in it. Our team is living right in the middle of that neighborhood. And again, it's a different style. Very wealthy people. The inventor of the AMD chip in the computers lives inside of that neighborhood. He knows our team members. And he said, oh, he said over one Thanksgiving, he said, I hate the holidays because it's the most loneliest time for me. And I love you people. Would you please come with me to my winter home in Napa Valley and just spend the holiday with me? I have a whole swimming pool that I converted into a hot tub. And our poor suffering missionary said, yes. We'll be glad to go with you. And they sat in the hot tub and began to preach the gospel to them. <laughs> the meeting place changed. The methods change. You see. We adapt to the context that we find ourselves in. So when we begin to look at this, what is your piece of the pie? What, how, 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 do, how, do, how do you fit into that uh, situation? I'm going to show you a video here of our downtown center in San Francisco. Now this is just one of our 8 locations. And this is in this is in a neighborhood of 35,000 people. 35 languages going on. 9,000 people living in single resident occupancies where they were once formerly homeless. 6,000 people living on the street. At our front door, many mornings you can't even open the front door because people are sleeping at the front door. And we, when we do open our front doors, we let everybody come in on the inside. <laughs> now, how we preach the gospel in downtown San Francisco is not how we would preach the gospel in the pizza, pasta, and coffee section of the neighborhood. And that's only one mile away from our front door. <laughs> but it changes. So watch this short four-minute video. And watch and see what you see in this video as it begins to play out on what I'm speaking about.
1: Over 30 blocks, more than 25 languages, and more than 30,000 people. In the heart of San Francisco lies one of the most diverse communities in the United States. Nestled between City Hall and the tourist-rich shopping centers of Market Street, the Tenderloin is home to thousands of Vietnamese, Latinos, African Americans, and more who have roots all around the globe. Unfortunately, the Tenderloin is also widely known for its high crime rate, availability of drugs, and widespread poverty. The thing that
0: I always like to tell people is that you know behind every beautiful painting, is pain. The more you talk with people of the Tenderloin, the more you really begin to see the beautiful painting. And I think that's why the 360 program that we have is so powerful.
1: The 360 is a discipleship class that we run here with people from the Tenderloin. We see so much isolation on the streets, people living by themselves, people not knowing how to interact socially. We invite them into our community, and I think we're seeing lives changed by that. In the classroom is where you first learn how to love each other. And then as you're there for a while, you learn how to take it out of the classroom and share that love with other people that you might not even know. Well, I started being around people that were positive, people that were lifting me up. And 360, people believed in me, you know. They seen something in me that I didn't see in myself. And it changed my life completely. It made me who I am today. Uh, I'm thankful, I'm blessed. And I want more than anything for other people to experience it. YWAM is a place that restores, empowers, and serves those in the Tenderloin. It's a place to get a haircut, it's a place where you can get a hot shower, or pick up this week's groceries. Maybe it's a place to take refuge from the street. Or just a place you know there's a friend who will listen. The driving force of all these ministries are the young adults that come from all over the world. They come to learn and to serve.
0: I go back to what Mother Teresa said. She said, there's all kinds of suffering in today's world. There's a suffering of homelessness. There's a suffering of hunger. But the greatest suffering is to feel alone and to feel unwanted. So who feels that? People in Silicon Valley feel that. People in the financial district feel that. People in the Tenderloin feel that. Now, the way we bridge that here in the Tenderloin, it may be a cup of hot chocolate, it may be sitting on the sidewalk and sharing our lunch with somebody. It may be inviting them in to get a haircut. maybe may be praying for somebody. Our mission statement is engaging a city with a loving God. And that's what we're all about. So how do you engage people? Not in the tenderloin. That's where we're at. <laughs> but how do you engage the people that God has for you where you're at? For us, as a video says, it might be a cup of hot chocolate. Hot chocolate evangelism in our neighborhood is powerful. But, you know, if I go to North Beach where I have another ministry and I go out and serve hot chocolate on the streets to the wealthy, They'll look at that cup of hot chocolate, and the first thing they'll ask me is, what's in it? (laughs) How, How much are you selling it for? Why are you giving this to me? Do you follow me? In my neighborhood, when I go out with hot chocolate, people say, please, could I have a cup of hot chocolate? And then we say to them, can we pray for you? And they say, please pray for me. I don't have a place to live in. I don't, know where, I don't know where my family is anymore. Please pray for me. How we present the gospel changes wherever we go. It might be that we give a haircut. That works in my neighborhood. It wouldn't work in Silicon Valley at Google or Apple. Where we have another ministry going on right now, inside of Google and Apple, we have a YWAM ministry called School of Workplace Mission. And we're training Google Christians, Apple Christians, how to share the gospel with their friends inside of Google and Apple without violating company policies. (laughs) But but how they do it is not the way we do it in the Tenderloin. And we're only 50 miles apart from one another. (laughs) What does that look for you? As you begin to look at your piece of the pie, as we look at Chicago and we stare out at, at this this territory, wherever it is that God has called you to, what's your piece of the pie? Because if we're going to see the city reach with the gospel, it's not going to be, and praise God for all the big speakers like Louis Palau or Billy Graham or Joyce Meyer or Reinhard Bonnke, but that's not going to be sustainable It's wonderful, and God uses that, but it happens every day through people like you and me. When we know what is our piece of the pie, is it people's, and I'm going to explain these to you, is it places, or is it passions? How how do we fit into these areas? Look at the ethnic population of Chicago. When I say people's, and, and Carol's going to come up and just, just share a little uh, stories, uh, stories here of how she's working in my, our neighborhood of 35 languages with some cultures that are very hard to cross over into. Well, one that's quite easy and one that's quite hard of how to cross over into. But look at the ethnic population of Chicago, one of the most diverse cities. Missions is way over there, but Missions is also right here in our own backyard. So Carol, if you'd just come and just uh, share, how are you crossing over into some of these different communities?
2: Some of you may know we were in India 25 years before moving to San Francisco and bridging the gap from India to America and another environment. God, in his goodness, put us in a neighborhood with 25 plus languages and the unreached at our doorstep so he put us in a place that was perfect because my heart has always been women and children and we have so many different women and children right at our doorstep and in asking God how do I reach these women because most of them are from Muslim background or Latino and the Lord said be a friend be a friend and in many of these cultures, being a friend takes a lot more time than just saying, hi, how are you? It's going <clears throat> a lot deeper into knowing them, understanding that where they're coming from. And the first thing God did was we picked an, a, a restaurant nearby, Indian restaurant, of course, and began going regularly. Whether it's just for a cup of tea, but the purpose of going was not the food or the tea, but it was to meet this one woman that was there all the time. And relationship developed. Her name is Mumta. She's from Pakistan. Had just moved to America. Married a man much older than her. <clears throat> was pregnant, and had no friends. Didn't know anybody. So I just started going. And when her baby was born, she let me take her baby, and take care of him at the YWAM base while she was cooking sometimes. And one day she invited us over for dinner. We went over, and her husband. She was Mumta was about 30 then. Husband probably 55. And he'd been in America for 25 years, and we were having dinner, and he was so excited to have us there, because in 25 years we were the first Americans in his home. And he was so excited he called his brother here in Chicago and said, "You have to talk to my friends." <laughs> but the, that was the beginning of me understanding, is for me, the steps were finding the connecting points getting to know them, getting to, uh, wanting to know their history, their country. And God's given me a tremendous privilege with a number of women from Yemen, still fully clothed in their burqa or their abaya and hijab, but they've become my friends. And they've allowed me into their homes and into their hearts. And all it was was caring for them and being a friend. It's so simple. It's nothing difficult, but it's time-consuming. And it's not. Ju- it, we can't keep it at the shallow level. And that's the key that God's really put. helped me to understand. The key into their hearts is being a friend, but being a friend how they understand friendship. And for me, that means being at their house for three hours at a visit and eating their food and drinking tea and just hanging out with them. And because that, God's opening hearts to hear... Not for me just to hear their story, but for them to begin to hear my story also.
0: Thank you. All right. So peoples is a big part of Chicago. I've just put a few of these vast people groups in Chicago into a pie chart. What's your piece of the pie? Now, I know you might be sitting there going, yeah, well, we don't have any of these peoples like that. What Carol's talking about near us. Well, watch this. Do any of you live in any of these suburbs that are up here on the board? <laughs> Look at the Asian. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not putting all the different ethnicities. I'm just taking the Asian ethnicities in our backyard around Calvary Church. <laughs> and I did this years ago when I was here. I put this same slide up years ago, and I updated it just the other day. In fact, this morning, and it keeps going up. The percentages keep increasing. It keeps increasing. Look at look at this uh, place up there called Burr Ridge. <laughs> you know, Burr Ridge, very affluent neighborhood, and I've I've gone through it many times because my father lived in Hinsdale, and so I would drive a little bit around Burr Ridge, and it's filled with people from the subcontinent and it continues to rise many of these people may be working in our own businesses or at the places where we teach or at our schools and it's opportunity mission is not just geographically distant as ray Baki says it is now culturally distant missions is about crossing the street Missions is about building the bridges in our own workplaces in this diverse country called America. God has brought the nations within the reach of the front door of our churches, and he's looking for people. Now, this may not be your piece of the pie, but for Carol, this is a big piece of her pie, where she goes and reaches into those communities to see the gospel begin to take place so peoples or places they could be neighborhoods and again i put some up of these suburbs up i i was uh, just got a glimpse of what terry does as a community liaison with lamont lamont township how can we serve the agendas of our neighborhoods To bring the shalom of God into those places. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 7. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have sent you in exile. Well, well, how do we pastor neighborhoods or apartment complexes? You know, you can go down as, 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 or our next door, our five next door neighbors. How do we do that? Or it might be the people in our companies because there's no time for us in our neighborhoods. How do we pastor those places? That's why I've put up there uh, not only neighborhoods but workplaces, whether it's Boeing or it's General Electric or other places where God has put us. How do we act as a pastor in those places without violating company policy? But being salt and light and asking God, how do I build bridges of love and share this conversation of your death and resurrection in the environment where you've put me? What's your piece of the pie? Is it people? Uh, Is it places? In in the literature that I have on the back table, and please take the literature. We don't want to take it home. (laughs) Um, We have this brochure of what we do in the San Francisco Bay Area, and it's built on three things, people, places, and passions. I find everything in ministry fits in those three Ps. Peoples, it could be unreached peoples, it could be uh, affinity groups like the homeless population or the the gay population or... Uh, could be some other population that's unique, or places. It could be the universities, schools, neighborhoods, where God's called us to not just to work. See, that's what we're trying to teach to Christians at Google. <laughs> you're not just here to work. You're here as a missionary. And almost everyone that we have at Google and Apple are Asian Christians that have come over from Asia to make their millions in America and we've told them go ahead make your millions <laughs> what but remember you're also on a mission when the israelites were came out of uh, came out of jerusalem they were sent to babylon on a mission <laughs> wherever god has us we're on a mission so peoples places or passions passions are Are areas of expertise that God gives us. And we're in a sphere of society, whether it's education or it's music. I've just listed a few of them up here sports. And we're in these spheres not only as our profession, but as our context for the preaching of the gospel. When we see people activated in these spheres, as a church of Chicago, and we're activated reaching into those places, that's how we begin to touch a city. Every believer seeing where God has put them and saying, this is my piece of the pie. So how do we do that? Number one, and I'm closing up here, know your gift. What is your gift? Are you gifted with mercy? Are you gifted with service? Are you gifted with evangelism? Are you gifted with leadership? Know your gift. I have a pastor friend who in San Francisco lives dead center in the gay community. And his church is dead center in the gay community. And his gift is European board games. (laughs) And he plays board games from 10 o'clock at night till 3 o'clock in the morning with people in the neighborhood. And about 2 o'clock in the morning, they start asking the God question. (laughs) And he's in conversation with them through his geeky gift called European board games, which you won't find anywhere in the New Testament. (laughs) But God's using him. God's using him to be a friend, to be a neighbor, and to reach out to the people around them. Know your gift. Know your call. Don't just, don't just look at what you're doing as a job. Don't just look at where you're living as shelter. Perhaps, not perhaps, it is so that God has put you there for Mission. This is what the Israelites struggled with in Babylon. Really? Really? We want to go home. And God said, Settle down, build houses, plant gardens, seek the peace and the prosperity of this wicked place to which I've sent you into exile. Because when you seek its peace, you will have your peace. That is the word of the Lord to us this morning. God has placed you strategically. And lastly, more than anything else, know him. Know him. And I close with Mother Teresa's statement. There are so many sorrows. I love what Mother Teresa said. There are so many sorrows in today's world. These sorrows are due to hunger and to dislodging and to all kinds of illness. But I am convinced that the greatest of all sorrows is to feel alone. Well, who feels alone, friends? (laughs) It's not just the homeless down in Chicago. It's people working out in some of the high-tech companies surrounding us. The presidents and CEOs, the richest people. They feel alone. They feel unwanted. They feel deprived of all affection. Now listen to what Mother Teresa says as I close this morning. Therefore, let us deepen our knowledge of God. What is it that people need? (laughs) They need somebody who walks with God as a friend (laughs) and builds a bridge to them. Therefore, let us deepen our knowledge of God. Of God. This knowledge will lead us to love Him, and love will lead us to serve Him. Thank you for listening this morning. When you go out, please take what we have. There's a sign up sheet if you want to know what we're doing. We have a sign up sheet for our email newsletter. We'd love to keep in touch with you. We need your prayers, we need your engagement. Also, I haven't talked to pastor about this, but we have a wonderful program in San Francisco where we take church teams to come for three days, six days, adults, not just young people. We consider young people somewhere between the ages of eight and 88, so, and come and experience mission in San Francisco so that you can come back and be on mission right here where God's placed you. God bless you. Thank you.